I'm going to start out, uh, Kirk kind of inspired me a couple of weeks ago when, uh, when he read the poem by uh, Wendell Berry, and I thought, I have just the perfect one. So I'm going to read a poem. It's titled Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die, and you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carry-on. Put your ear close and hear the faint clattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. Lie easy in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. Back in 2002, a West Virginia man won the Powerball Lottery Prize. The $314 million prize was the largest in history at that time. Now, the winner was already a millionaire with a successful business. He opted, doesn't seem fair, does it? He opted for the lump sum, and he walked away with $93 million after taxes. He began spending money as fast as he could at strip clubs and casinos, which evidently he had not frequented before this. And he gave millions to charities. He gave $600,000 to one of his granddaughters. No, I'm sorry. Over $600,000 were stolen from his vehicle. He carried the cash around in a briefcase in his truck. 
and twice it was broken into and money was stolen. He gave gifts and cash to his teenage granddaughter who spent the money on drugs and she was later found murdered. He died in 2020 and it was reported that he was broke. There are a number of people over the years who have won small and large lottery prizes. There's even a show on the Home and Garden Network, I think it is, about people who've won the lottery and how they spend their money on their dream home. It's crazy. They have found that money not only can't buy happiness, but it can ruin a life. A number of professional athletes have been given multi-million dollar contracts and have ended up broke at the end of their careers. I remember when I was in high school, there was a fantastic basketball player in the D.C. area. And he went, he was one of the first to go from high school to the pros right away. Signed a contract got cut. Last I heard of him, he'd been arrested for dealing drugs. Howard Hughes was one of the wealthiest people on earth. And he didn't die broke, but he died alone and afraid. Our culture tells us that money and the things that it can buy are what we should chase after. An alternate reading of these verses could be, blessed are those who find wealth, those who gain riches, for nothing is more profitable than silver or yields better returns than gold. Rubies are precious, and nothing you desire can compare with them. A full life will be yours, and you will have comfort and honor. Wisdom's ways are pleasant ways. I'm sorry, wealth's ways are pleasant ways, and its pains lead to ease. Wealth gives life to those who take hold of it. Those who grasp it will be blessed. Commercials on many of the news networks tout the wisdom of storing up gold, silver, real estate, or cryptocurrency. I once saw a bank that advertised the services of a worth advisor, as if a person's worth considered how much wealth they possessed. Now, let me state right off the top, I am not condemning wealth or those who have it. There are numerous examples in Scripture of wealthy people who were blessed by God, and they were commended for what they did. God made Solomon, the writer of this proverb, the wealthiest man in his day. Jesus' ministry was funded to a large degree by some wealthy women. Wealth is not the problem in and of itself, but it becomes a problem when it is made the main thing, when it becomes more important than anything else, when it's worshipped. Here in this passage, the richest man on earth is saying that there is something better than riches. The Apostle Paul somewhat echoes the words of Solomon when he writes to Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, 
And we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. <clears throat> we who follow Jesus are a part of the upside down kingdom of God. And the way that we live our lives should reflect our citizenship. As in Wendell Berry's manifesto, we should do things that don't compute to the world, that don't make sense in today's society. One of those things is seeking wisdom above everything else. In preparing this sermon, I read that in the entrance hall of the Rockefeller Center in New York, and if this is wrong or has changed, I think Kirk probably uh, could probably tell me, there's four murals picturing the progress of mankind. The first shows primitive man struggling to survive in a hostile environment. The second depicts man as having created tools and living more comfortably. The third mural shows man as both master and servant of his machines, controlling a vast portion of the material world. The fourth mural pictures Jesus delivering the Sermon on the Mount with numbers of people looking up toward him. Under this mural are these words. Man's ultimate desire depends not on whether he can learn new lessons or make new discoveries or conquests, but on his acceptance of the, of the lesson taught him close on 2,000 years ago. That lesson, which is far better than all the wealth of the entire world, is wisdom. Now we've looked at what wisdom is. Another way of looking at wisdom is it's somewhat like driving a car. When you drive down the road, what matters is how quickly and how appropriately you respond to things around you. You don't ask why the car is stopped in the middle of the road. You might not, but... Or why that turn is so sharp. You simply see and do the right thing in the certain situations. <clears throat> Wisdom is like that. As situations come up in life, a wise person sees the right thing to do and does it. Wisdom in life, as in driving, sometimes does come through experience. But there are many times, however, when we need the, ex the wisdom from an experienced driver, or, in this case, from the Creator who made everything and knows how everything works. <coughs> Excuse me. It's also getting to be allergy season. <clears throat> Verses 13 through 18 are part of the fourth lesson from the parents to the child. This lesson speaks of the value of wisdom to humanity and the blessings that come from gaining wisdom. And here again, wisdom is personified as a woman. Verse 13 reads in the King James Version, Blessed is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. 
Some other translates translate that word as mortal. The Hebrew word translated man is Adam. Same thing as Adam. That's where that comes from. It carries the idea of an earthbound, restricted, and limited human being. I think that pretty much describes all of us. Verse 13 could best be translated as, Blessed be the human being who finds wisdom, the human being who gains understanding. And the passage is in a particular pattern that is used in Hebrew scripture, which the first word and the last word are the same word, the word blessed. In verse 13, the Adam is blessed. And in verse 18, humanity is blessed. The middle of the pattern speaks of the desirability of wisdom and its superiority. Now, the word translated blessed is the Hebrew word ashre. When we think of blessed, we think of the word happy, as in the Beatitudes. We're told that means happy. Well, Bruce Waltke, in his lecture on this passage, states that happy is not really strong enough. And I think I agree with him. He says that the word ashra is better translated how rewarding, referring to future rewards based on a present relationship with God. It goes way beyond happiness. Waltke would translate this as along the lines of how rewarded is the man who gains wisdom, looking forward to the future because of a present relationship with God. Now back in chapter 2, Solomon encouraged his son to call out and to cry aloud for wisdom and understanding and to search for it as he would silver or hidden treasure. Here he says why a person should go to such great lengths to gain wisdom. The first reason we should seek diligently for wisdom and understanding is that we will be rewarded for our efforts. Our future will be better because of it. We will be truly blessed. In verses 14 and 15, we see the second reason. (coughs) Think of the work involved in digging gold, silver, or precious stones out of the ground. It's probably a lot easier now than it was back in, say, 1849. But it still takes a lot of work. They're digging a new gold mine down in Lancaster County, evidently. And it's a mess. I mean, they're just tearing up the earth and all kinds of things. It's, it's hard work to dig gold, even with the modern machineries and so on. Well, wisdom and understanding are more profitable and yield a greater return on investment than silver or gold. She, wisdom, is more powerful than jewels. The word in Hebrew is corals. Now, we don't see coral as very valuable these days. Some people will put it on their shelves or things like that. But, you know, you can't hand over coral to a merchant in payment for something that you want. They don't really like it that much. So the translators had to come up with something different. It's called a dynamic equivalent. In other words, it's a word that basically means the same thing, even though it's not a direct translation. Both the King James and the NIV translate the word as rubies. 
Well, there's a problem with that. The word rubies didn't appear in literature until like the 6th century. So they didn't have that back in the Hebrew. The ESV translates it as jewels, which probably is the best translation. kind of covers all of them. <clears throat> so great gain comes from getting wisdom and understanding. Well, what kind of gain? Those who chase silver, gold, and jewels have something tangible to show for their efforts. What does a person who chases wisdom have to show for it? Well, verses 16 through 18 tell us that. In verse 16, Solomon says, Wisdom carries long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left hand. A person who is wise is generally going to live longer than a person who is foolish. They're not going to take their motorcycle down the highway at 150 miles an hour and try to make a sharp turn on an exit. They're probably going to go to the speed limit and take their time. Other, plenty of other examples. The idea of wisdom leading to a long life is found all through the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Wisdom protects us from death. We looked at the consequences of a foolish lifestyle back in chapter 2. Someone who is living wisely is much less likely to be in situations that can cause harm. Long life also carries the idea of a full life, a life that is pleasant and peaceful. Wisdom sets a table with food and brings fellowship around that table. Wisdom brings love. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that rings and jewels are not gifts. They are apologies for gifts. A rich person can give lavish gifts, but not be able to give what others really want themselves. Giving ourselves to others is often harder than giving gifts because it takes time and humility. Wisdom enables us to give, them, give ourselves to bring fullness to the life of others. In wisdom's left hand are riches and honor. Now, wait a minute. I thought we weren't supposed to be concerned with riches. Well, the second half of verse 16 goes well with verse 17. Riches could simply be talking about financial wealth. For instance, if, as Proverbs tells us not to do, if we don't co-sign a loan for somebody who is untrustworthy, that's probably going to help our bottom line. But wisdom also can keep us from wasting our hard-earned dollars on things that are unworthy of us, going on a spending spree for things that probably will break before you get them home, things like that. But a full life filled with friends, <coughs> excuse me, with whom we share life, that's a rich life. That's one of the things that wisdom brings. Wisdom also brings honor. Honor carries the idea of weight, a sense of heaviness. 
not the sense that we get from eating too much. When we hold people in honor, we give a certain weight to them, a certain esteem. Uh, It's called gravity. We talk about how people have gravity or gravitas. That's giving honor to them. Even though many may envy the wealthy, it's the ones who are wise who we are to esteem, who we are to give weight to. Now, that's another way where I think we would be doing something that doesn't compute. Because our culture, it seems these days, gives so many give weight to people who really are such lightweights when it comes to what is really important in life. In contrast to the wicked man and the wicked woman of chapter 2, wisdom's ways are pleasant. Her paths are peace. Wisdom can keep us from conflict with others when there is no need for it. Spend any time on social media or in certain circles, and you can quickly find out that there are a whole lot of people who love getting into the middle of arguments if they're not starting arguments themselves. A wise person stays out of those things. As the... uh, the one thing I saw on Facebook, somebody posted, yeah, I changed everybody's mind by my post on Facebook, said no one ever. It's true. You're not going to change anybody's mind on social media. So don't get into arguments on that. Use wisdom. Someone who has wisdom also doesn't worry or get frightened when things look out of control, which to a large degree they do around us because they know that they belong to the creator who has everything in his hands and who loves them with an unquenchable love. In verse 18, Solomon states that wisdom is a tree of life. Where have we seen a tree of life before? Hmm. Maybe way back at the beginning. And also if you read ahead, It's at the end. But in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3, God evicts Adam and Eve from the garden in order to keep them from eating from the tree of life because eating from that tree would grant them eternal life in a fallen condition. We're seeing a hint of what is to come here. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's interesting. Now, does this mean that we'll have eternal life if we have wisdom and our desire fulfilled? Yes and no. In a sense, wisdom and fulfilled desire can keep us from our own mortality and that they do prolong life and make it more pleasant. But wisdom in itself will not bring us eternal life. There's something more here, I think, that Solomon may be hinting at, maybe the original hearers of this would have known what he was saying. Not sure. But as Kirk said when he preached a couple of weeks ago, there's a picture of full barns and overflowing vats of wine 
And that can be seen as a picture of what Jesus is to those who follow him. We see this pictured in the Lord's Supper. In chapter 9, verse 5, we have an invitation from wisdom to eat her bread and to uh, drink her wine. In the Lord's Supper, we have the invitation from our Savior to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Those who have this invitation are those who have sought wisdom in the one who is wisdom, Jesus Christ. Part of accepting the invitation to wisdom's table is realizing just how badly we need Christ's table. When we follow Jesus and learn his ways, we realize that he is the giver of true wisdom. The wisdom that is far above any earthly wisdom. This wisdom and understanding are far better than silver, gold, precious stones. Do we see it that way? Do we search for wisdom with the same effort that we might search for wealth? May God help us and grant us his wisdom.